the hype train is and we're like oh my god this table we're so good can we just stop that crap Ireland could win the World Cup let's be honest oh Shane could why are we so afraid of this OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar it's time to say a very good morning to the editor of United We Stand Andy Mitten morning Andy Good morning. That was uh, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know what mood you're going to be in this morning because I guess it's two points dropped. But then when you're two 0 down, you'll take it, won't you? Yeah, I'm all right. It's a big month for Manchester United. True. Huge games every couple of days. Tired, if anything else. <laughs> and as you say, Manchester United were were two 0 down. That was a big big surprise given how poor Leeds United have been especially in their games against Manchester United since they were promoted under Marcelo Bielsa. And it was a really unusual feeling at Old Trafford because Leeds were ahead after, in the first minute, they they laid a trap, Manchester United fell into it, Bruno Fernandes lost possession, great finish for Leeds. And then at half-time, Eric Ten Hag told his players, do not let the same thing happen again. But the same thing, or very similar, did happen again. Lost possession, suddenly Leeds are 2-0 up. And Manchester United had a huge task, especially considering um, two of the best players, Casemiro, probably the most important player in the team, and Christian Eriksen were, were absent. There were other injuries and absences as well. So the fight back was, was enjoyable for the people there. The atmosphere was really good. It was very loud in the away end when Leeds were going ahead. And then Old Trafford sort of surged and... I, I didn't, even though the goals were scored in good time, I don't think Manchester United were playing well enough mm. to, to, to justify um, the, the, the three points. I thought Leeds were, were worthy of their, their draw. Then again, Manchester United had lots of chances, came close. So for a neutral, it was a very, very exciting uh, match for those who were there. It wasn't on British TV. Was it? Was it on? Was it televised in Ireland? No, no. I think it was. It was all the New Zealand, South African channels, and all the mm-hmm. the dodgy channels that had it last night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think I, I asked someone in TV after the game. There were like four or five territories in the world which weren't showing the match, and North Korea was one, Iran was one, and we've just named a couple of the other two. So <laughs> it, it seems strange on one level because. There's a huge rivalry between Manchester United and Leeds. These two big, northern, predominantly working-class cities, only 42 miles apart, and Leeds United are a huge football club. But that rivalry has waned as they've been out of the Premier League. They they were out of uh, the Premier League from, I think, 2004 to 2020. And there's a whole generation of fans where that rivalry didn't really exist uh, mm. to them. But you felt it last night. I was stood outside Old Trafford last night when Leeds fans were walking into the stadium, and it was pretty vicious. And they were flanked by um, lots and lots of police. And it was a very sort of laddish, raffish uh, Leeds following. And they were walking in, and the, the songs were pretty unsavoury on both sides. And I like rivalries. I like great rivalries in football. I like the edge in football. But there was there was stuff there last night which was beyond the pale. And that was before the game. And then the game started and that was even livelier. Uh, yeah, and of course the the, the press position in, in in Old Trafford is, is very close to the to the away fans, so you'll you'll have heard a lot of 
that uh, vitriolic uh, chanting coming, as you say, from both sides. It, it, it is something that, that you know, we've noticed even, maybe, I don't know if it's a, a post-COVID thing, but the, the rivalries are back. And as you say, there was a generation that they totally missed out on, on Manchester United, Leeds United rivalries. But it seems to be heading back to where it was before, as you say, 2004, that era. I still think Leeds need to win a game, which they came close to doing, yeah. for it to have a real edge, because the rivalry was at its keenest when Leeds United had very, very good teams. And there was a time in the 60s where Manchester United really struggled to beat Leeds United, and they, they were champions of England. They picked up a lot of fans because of how good they were at times in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, I, I believe a lot of fans in Ireland of a certain generation are Leeds fans so there's a pretty significant um, following outside of Leeds as well um, I, I could hear the, the away fans loud and clear but it was outside the ground where it was at its most vicious because you had um, a line of police and um, police on horses and songs were flying back and forward it, it was all pretty dis- distasteful and how it was years ago and at the start of the 90s, if you would have asked Manchester United fans who were their three biggest rivals, and we regularly did that in United We Stand, it would be Liverpool, Leeds, Manchester City, often in that order. Mm. And by, I remember 2004 speaking to Roy Keane and saying, who are your biggest rivals? And he said, Arsenal. He said, I know it's different for fans. I know you'll mention teams like Leeds and Liverpool and Manchester City but for the players it, it, it's Arsenal it had moved on and it carried on moving on and in many ways Leeds got left behind if you go to Ellen Road it's it, it, it's missing like 25 years of any development it really is aged scruffy visceral very real and for better or for worse because sometimes the, the Premier League can be overly sanitised and if you go to Leeds United and Manchester United go there on Sunday, you really know where you are. It's got a very strong identity, that football club. Yeah, on the pitch last night, I wondered, was the rivalry there as much for Man United as it was for Leeds? Like those slow starts to each half, I thought was maybe a telling factor. If you're in a big rivalry game, you know, it's tension, it's fast start, it's energetic when that's not really what it was like for, for Man United. Manchester United started the game poorly very poorly if you look at the league positions if you look at the fact that Manchester United had won 13 consecutive home games they were clear favourites even without those players because Leeds were missing players as well I think the captain was in the stands and technically they're not as good as Manchester United and that's been shown in the games since they came up loads of goals but Manchester United have absolutely steamrolled them so do those current players who started, you know, does Sabitzer know about the rivalry or Veghorst between Manchester United and Leeds United? Probably not. It's an education to a lot of them. Eric Tenog's never managed a Manchester United-Leeds United game and they completely shocked Manchester United. Old Trafford was reduced to being stunned twice as they scored both of their goals and they had other chances. They hit the post. And David De Gea made a good save in the first half. So even though Manchester United had most of the possession, it was a very disjointed performance. And in the middle of the park, Manchester United did not convince at all. So Sabitzer, who didn't didn't play too badly, um, he was making his, his first start since his loan move. But 
more than once I heard we're really missing Casemiro and, and Ericsson. And that that's understandable because of how influential both of them have been. Fred Fred did not have a good game. He was one of the replacements. Lost possession too many times. Uh, Alejandro Garnacho, clearly talented, teenager, very frustrating to watch last night. Lost possession a lot of times. Leeds had heart, they had fight. You saw when they scored the goals, they just all went together. And maybe in disbelief because nothing was expected from them, but they definitely had a good team spirit. And the away fans were really, really up for it. I know it was. I think it was mentioned last night, yeah, that four points out of a possible fifteen in the five games that Casemiro has been missing for United this season. On Vaidhurst, um, Andy, like you could see the pictures of him in the stands when he was taken off, and clearly not happy to be taken off because he's not scoring the goals that he wants to be, or getting involved, maybe, or or even holding the ball up like a lot of United fans expected him to be doing. Um, is that is that working? Is the Vaidhurst stuff working? Because as soon as Rashford then moves into the middle. United all of a sudden appeared livelier and more likely to score. He was clearly frustrated, and I think strikers are when they don't score. He had almost no service, and strikers need service. Uh, he didn't have a good game, and he isn't the type of player like Anthony Martial who can stretch the lines, and he's a reference point and at his best, and he's had some decent performances. Did okay at Arsenal, did well at Nottingham Forest away in the first leg uh, of the, the semi-final. He was effective, and I know that Marcus Rashford enjoyed playing with him, but he didn't have a good game against Leeds United. And as you say, when the changes were made, Marcus Rashford moved from being started on the right, but he only started in that position because of injuries and absences to others. So the substitutions were probably the bright point of Manchester United's night. With Jaden Sancho especially, lively and he scored. The two goals were very good. Marcus Rashford's header was excellent. But you had a side where Diogo Dalot was coming back in. Players who've been playing all the time were missing. And it probably showed that Manchester United's squad depth is not very deep. When you've got that first 11 with Casemiro, um, they've beaten anybody. And I also think... There were going to be trip-ups. This is Ten Hag's first season. Mm. This is football. You can't win every game. You can't sound too spoiled. United have just won 13 games on the bounce at Old Trafford. That is a phenomenal record. And even now, in the league, the the, the points uh, ratio for, for matches at Old Trafford is still really impressive. But it still felt disappointing last night. The performance, the result. And I think Manchester United could have gone level with Manchester City on points played a game more. So you feel frustrated. Um, the stat about Casemiro uh, is, is a good one, but it's one win in four now in the league for Manchester United. So it is a little bit of a stumble and that can't become too much of a stumble because February is a really, really important month. Mm. You've got the two games against Barcelona, who aren't bad, and you've got Leeds on Sunday and you've got a really difficult game in the League Cup final against Newcastle United at the end of this month. Yeah, when you think about the start of the season to now, you know, you would take it. You know, it's been unbelievable in the last few months. But just speaking about Marcus Rashford, is this the best that we've ever seen, Marcus Rashford? Yeah, I think in confidence, I think in terms of his scoring record, he scored again at Old Trafford, 
I think that was six consecutive games that he scored at Old Trafford, scoring really good goals. Scored with a header last night. It was a fantastic mm-hmm. header. And him and Casemiro have probably been Manchester United's best two players this season. I dread to think what Manchester United would look like without Marcus Rashford because there is a real shortage up front. You think back to the start of last season and all the players that United had up front, Cavani, Ronaldo, Sancho. Sancho's been missing since October. He came back and was probably the bright spot, but Marcus Rashford is a vital player for, for Manchester United. And one of the players who can control those winning moments, can change a game, which the very best players can do. And he's really needed because there's so many games, it's relentless. And you're seeing some pretty weird results, not just in England. Real Madrid are starting to uh, trip a little bit because there's too many matches in this season with where the World Cup took a big chunk out of it. So whoever fares best in that really hectic schedule is probably going to be um, triumphant. Jadon Sancho, who you mentioned, Andy, um, like really, really good to see him back from a United fans' perspective, and and he just looks. You mentioned the word confidence there for Marcus Rashford. He's definitely a confidence player, Jadon Sancho, and you could even see Eric ten Hag break break a little smile when when Sancho scored the goal. And of course, he probably was expecting his team to go on and and, and score the winner. But Sancho, with a smile on his face, is is a dangerous proposition, and and, and clearly. The time he spent away doing his own individual training and, and stuff in the Netherlands has 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 worked a treat so far. Yeah, he's still early, but you're right. And Eric Ten Hag was effusive about him after the match in the press conference. Talks about him being a brilliant footballer, and I think he's handled him well. The, the early evidence suggests that uh, in October his form had, had fallen away badly. It was stark. Uh, um, or Nicosia away when he he was afraid or seemingly afraid to run at Cypriot defenders and pass the ball back, which led to a goal. So he's gone away, uh, a specialised training programme just for him. He's been brought in slowly, um, first of all back to Carrington, then within the group, then full first team training. Now he's playing again. Now he's scoring again. He played well. He made a difference. He got absolutely clattered and smashed to the ground. So that was like a welcome back to real life football against Leeds United in a big, dirty Northern <laughs> match between two teams who do not like each other. So if he's fit and playing well, he could be very important for Manchester United and needed as well. You saw uh, Alejandro Ganacho, he's, he's still very wasteful. He's still very young. Mm. Jadon Sancho is much more experienced, but Eric Tenag really spoke well of him after the game. And of course, that's to help lift his confidence as well, because those quotes feed through and people like me talk about them on shows like this. And that's probably good, good management because Jaden Sancho will see them and think, all right, the manager's backing me. And he absolutely is. Yeah, I was just going to ask about the relationships that Eric Ten Hag has with the players, like listening to him speak about Tancho like that and as he was coming off the bench he you know he sort of had his hand around him and they were smiling and you know it just feels like everything that he's been through to give him that time and to, you know to build him up with his confidence it feels that Eric Ten Hag has this good relationship with, with players is that fair to say? Yeah it is fair to say they respect him I don't think you'll ever have a situation where all 25 squad members are thinking 
this guy's the best thing I've ever known in my life because you're always going to have unhappy footballers or sports people who, who are not chosen, uh, who feel slighted over non-selection. But absolutely, your point is true. Um, he's really rated by the players. The results are good. The performances have been good. And that all just feeds into positivity. You also have a couple of players who left the club in the summer um, who... I was told consistently were a negative drain on the mood at, at Carrington. I think there's still work to do, but Eric Tenag has really impressed Manchester United fans with his management so far, not just of uh, team selection, but the way he's dealt with, with big issues um, such as uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I mean, there's so many challenges for him. Look at the, the case with Mason Greenwood. This is beyond the pale this is stuff which a, a normal football manager would not expect to deal with there's uncertainty about the ownership future direction of the club he spent a huge amount of money in the summer he brought in a lot of players United spent more than they'd expected to so bedding all that down after a terrible start to the season into something that looks like a good team is means that Eric Ten Hag's stock is incredibly high and he deals with the media well. He's witty. His English has improved even in his short time in England. And I, I mean, I, I spoke to him for an hour in December and came out of that thinking my opinion of him is even higher. And then I get all the sort of side feedbacks. Like my mum bumped into Eric Ten Hag in the supermarket uh, today. Um, she said he was really friendly, you know. <laughs> I, I, I get that on a pretty consistent basis. Right. And... It's good. It's good. Um, I got on a couple of months ago. Uh, did you know that Eric Ten Hag cycled to the reserve game last night? <laughs> no. Yeah, it caused a little bit of a stir. The uh, security weren't expecting him turning up on his bike. Right. <laughs> so we asked him about that and he said, well, why shouldn't I? Yeah. I'm Dutch. It's a bike. What are bikes for? They're for riding. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a fair point. If he's going to come in any mode of transport as a Dutchman, it's going to be a bike. Uh, no, it's good to hear those anecdotes about Eric Ten Hag. He's clearly bedding into the club club very well. You touched on something there, Andy, um, and I did want to get your thoughts on that. The um, the future ownership of the club is very much up in the air. I know, is it Friday week, the 17th of February, is the, the deadline for, for people to, I guess, I guess, express their interest in buying the club, uh, due diligence ongoing at the moment. I mean, Jim Ratcliffe was the name that, that was constantly mentioned, but these, uh, these uh, rumours of Qatari investment, uh, is there something there? Is that... Uh, Legitimate, and how do you expect the the sale of the club to go uh, between now and I guess the, the deadline of, of expressions of interest at least? There's so much smoke and mirrors going on, so I've got lots of different contacts consistently telling me stuff, and I'm almost reluctant to report on it because you can't get a handle on what the truth is mm. because it's in the Glazers' interest for there to be an auction situation where you've got several parties bidding for Manchester United. And I see some of the news coming out, and I think this is designed to flush out potential suitors. But I'm getting like three different versions of the same event, different sources, and good sources as well. And there's a lot of uncertainty. I think it's fair to say Manchester United is desired. I think the price is very high. I think there's been times in this bidding process when there hasn't been any bids in the room. So the banker's job is to drum up interest uh, United were in Davos for example the World Economic Forum the people who go there are not renowned for being short of money mm. and 
if they can have a situation, even if it's played out through the media, of uh, different suitors uh, from different parts of the world, that would suit the Glazers. It would increase the the, the share price. It, of course, adds to uncertainty. I think it could definitely split Manchester United's fan base because you will have people who are very uncomfortable about the prospects of a sports washing project, for example, and you will have others who do not care about it at all and say, I just want to buy Mbappe and win football trophies. And Manchester United's fan base is so big, diverse, the the age demographics, um, you saw that even in the reaction to the Mason Greenwood stuff last week. So it adds to uncertainty. I don't know who's going to bid for it. Jim Ratcliffe's bid is um, was a hard one. He's the wealthiest man or has been in from the UK, but it's not just about the UK now, it's on a global scale. And let's see what happens there. I think there will probably be... Um, because of the deadline that's been set we'll be hearing a lot more about this in the next week or two absolutely Andy we'll keep an eye on that as always great stuff thanks a million thank you OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar